Well, this weekend, I want to talk about the cross, and particularly, I've entitled my message, The Power of a Foolish Message. And it's important for us to consider the cross because the cross really is the central symbol of our faith, amen? As believers, the cross represents the single most important event in the history of mankind that made all the difference. It had such impact that the world that we live in today actually measures time both uh, by looking at what happened before the cross and what happened after the cross. But we got to understand this, that the cross is more than just a symbol. It is far more than an ornament that is worn around our necks. It is a process. It is God's process and a divine means through which God has chosen to transact between life and death, heaven and hell, chaos and peace. Amen. Without the cross, there can be no salvation and we would remain estranged from our maker and we would not have been reconciled uh, to our God. Amen. That's how important the cross is. But I want to just uh, also say this, that there is a gloss and a sheen of respectability that now covers our cross. Amen. It is quite different from the cross that Jesus hung on. Today, the cross proudly hangs on uh, the steeples of many cathedrals. It is beautified on stained glass. And no longer is it rugged, crude, and harsh, but instead, it is often made with silver and gold and smooth around the edges. No longer does it prick you, but it is something that is uh, highly uh, ornamental and appealing. And perhaps because of this, we may have lost a sense of meaning and understanding the power of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I hope this weekend to bring a remembrance and a sense of wonder again to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Now, to begin, I want to distinguish for us the fact that there is, uh, the, the Bible speaks about two crosses. Amen. The first cross is a cross that we are called to bear. Uh, Jesus said that if you want to be my followers, if you want to be my disciples, then you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come after me. And that's a cross that we're all required to bear. Amen? To all the husbands who are here in this place, hey, your wife is not your cross. Amen? Though you have to bear her daily, okay? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Sometimes I wonder if you guys can tell that when I'm joking, okay? I feel very terrified whenever I tell a joke, you know? Because after that, people will come and say, hey, why you joke about your wife like that? You know, kind of thing. Okay, I'm sorry. She's not here today, that's why. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, she came last night already, so she's not watching online. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, last night I told a joke, you know, and um, something funny, and I kind of like went back, I kind of regretted it because I always think to myself, maybe people don't understand I'm joking, you know, and they, they kind of like think that I'm serious about it. So I was telling this joke about my haircut. You know, if you notice, I had a haircut, and it is so short, you know. I think to myself, my son going to national service, I'm going to national service, you know. <laughs> And uh, my hairdresser lives just a few doors away from me, and it, she uh, has a home business. So because of convenience, you know, I go to her to cut, cut my hair uh, every month, okay? So I went uh, this week, and, uh, and we always have a long conversation uh, while she's cutting. Maybe that's why she cuts so short. You know? <laughs> and our conversation is always in Hokkien, okay, for some reason. And uh, so she said, hey, you know, I met her, I told my friends, and they're from Cornerstone, you know? And uh, then through our conversation, we realized that, hey, you're actually the pastor there in Cornerstone, you know, but I don't know your name. I cut your hair so many years, I don't know your name. I only know your wife's name. So I said, this, uh, the, the, the pastor's wife's name is Wendy, you know? They say, oh, Wendy. Uh, so which pastor is this? Is, the, is this the pastor of Beaumont? And they said, <laughs> for those of you who don't understand what Beaumont means, it means no hair, you know? I said, what's the matter with these people? They never see Diana. They want really Beaumont. <laughs> Isn't it Beaumont? 
So, but I meant it as, as a joke, okay? So if you're the 2% that said, I bow more, I remember you. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm kidding. I really am okay with it, you know? I always say this to my wife, you know, I'm not really interested in growing hair. I'm more interested in growing brains, okay? So those people who want to have a lot of hair, I prefer to have a lot of brains, okay? And <laughs> but in any case, coming back to the message, okay? Then that's the first cross, the cross that we bear. But there is a second cross, and that's the cross that we're focused on. That's the cross that Jesus bore. Right? This is the cross that Jesus was uh, hung on on the, on the hill of Calvary. This is the, the cross that Jesus was crucified on. It's an instrument of death upon which our Lord was crucified. And this is the message that we are called to preach. Amen? This is the message, the cross of Jesus Christ that we are called to preach. Now, I want to read to you a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 to 18, 22 to 24. Okay? And these are the verses that we're going to camp around today as we talk about the cross. And let me read this to you, okay? It says, Paul says this, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is amazing. I want you to focus on verse 18, where Paul gives us a very interesting description about this message that we are given. And he says that this is a message of foolishness. Foolishness. And sometimes we read this and we are familiar with this phrase and the impact is lost to us. But can I, can I tell you this? That when, when the English translation translates this as foolishness, it is a much too mild translation compared to the original Greek word that Paul was using. In fact, a better translation in English would be this would be the following words. Madness. Insanity. The Greek word here that is being used is the word moria, from which we get the word moron. Now, can you imagine this, Paul, the intensity in which Paul is describing this message? He's saying that the message of the cross literally is moronic. It is insane. It is literally a madness to suggest that the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is the means of atonement and salvation for all of mankind, past, present, and future. You see, the question remains for us, why the cross? Why did God choose the cross? Why was the cross necessary? In Christian Orthodox theology, there's been several theories that have been put forward to explain the purpose of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are at least seven of these theories that are put out, and I want to give us very quickly three of them, okay? The first is Christus Victus. And the purpose of the cross is that Jesus obtained victory over Satan on the cross. It was on the cross that God defeated Satan. This, another is the satisfaction theory, and that is the fact that, and that tells us that the cross satisfied the justice of God. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross so that it doesn't need to come upon us. Then there is the theory of penal substitution, where Christ becomes the substitute to pay for our sins so that we are absolved from the punishment of sin. Now, all these propositions are valid. All these uh, theories are accepted doctrinal uh, uh, theories within, Christian, within the Christian faith. And the scriptures itself substantiate all of these things, okay? But let me tell you this, we must not be mistaken to think that just because the cross fulfilled all these requirements, that it is as though God was compelled or restrained by these requirements. 
And we must never think that for a moment because I'm telling you this God is God and if God wanted to wipe away all sins with a snap of his finger, he could cleanse all of us. If God wanted to defeat the enemy with a word, he would have bound Satan and Satan would have been defeated. Amen? But yet the wisdom of God is that he fulfilled all these things but in spite of that, at the same time, let me tell you this, none of these theories actually quite tell us why the cross. Why did God choose the cross? Why didn't God choose for Jesus to die in a hundred other different ways that are possible? Why did He choose the cross? And I want to say this to you, that perhaps the reason God chose the cross is because, it was a, because this, this cross is exactly what it is. It is foolishness. It makes no sense. It pleased God to pick what is madness, what is insanity in the eyes of human beings as a means through which He will bring salvation for all of us. Amen. Let me focus again on verse 22-24, where it says that the Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek wisdom, and this just about describes everyone. There are people who are out there looking for a sign to say, hey, if Jesus, if you are real, show me a sign in heaven. And there are those who are looking at, at God and says, I need to reason this out. This doesn't make sense. But Paul goes on, he says, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To those who are seeking for wisdom, it is foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Let me take some time to go through these two things that people seek for. Paul said the first is that the Jews sought a sign. And in Matthew chapter 12, 38, sure enough, in the time of Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish authorities came to Jesus and they asked him for a sign. Give us a sign. Show us why, that you are the Messiah. Give us a sign to prove that you are the Messiah that God has chosen. Now, when the Jews came asking for a sign, is it wrong for them to ask for a sign? Let me tell you, it was not. In fact, it was a very consistent thing to do. It was the right thing to do, and it is consistent with Jewish history. Because right throughout Jewish history, in the Old Testament, God would give signs. When God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel, Moses asked question. How will they know that you sent me? And guess what God did? God gave him three signs, right? The water that turned into blood, the rod that became a serpent and back to a rod, the hand that became leprous and then got healed again. These were signs to authenticate that, God, that Moses was truly sent by God. In the same way, Elijah also, in his contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, brought a sign to Israel that the Lord is God and that Baal was not a true God. In Elijah's own words, in 1 Kings 18 verse 24, Elijah said this, the God that answers by fire, He is God. In other words, God was going to show through a sign that He is the true God. And so it's only natural that the Jewish people would come seeking for a sign. Now, what we must not overlook is this, that Jesus did indeed present many signs to the people. Amen? He performed miracles. He healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. You know, He multiplied bread in the wilderness. And many of the miracles that Jesus performed in the Word of God were considered, were, were told to us that they're not just miracles, but they were signs, right? The turning of water into wine, that is a sign, right? And all these things were given to show the people that, hey, He is the Messiah. And yet, in response to the request of the Jewish people, Jesus answered that only one sign will be given to them, and that's the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah is essentially the sign of the cross, because just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the ocean, Christ would be in the, in the belly of the earth three days, three nights, and then He would rise again from the dead. Amen? And that's the sign of the cross. 
Now, if you were to put yourself as a Jewish person 2,000 years ago, living in the days of Jesus, let me tell you, when you think about the cross, you will not think of it as a religious symbol. In fact, when you look at the cross in the days of Jesus, it was very, very clear that the cross represented conquest. The cross represented humiliation. The cross represented the fact that your nation has been conquered by the Roman Empire. It was a form of execution invented by the Roman Empire in order to establish a reign of terror on all the occupied territory of the Roman Empire. They would crucify people in public to quell any rebellion, to establish their authority and to tell the people, you have been conquered by us. That's what the cross represented. So if you're living in the days of Jesus and you saw the cross, you would not think about Christianity. You would not think about faith in God. You would just know that you are a conquered person and you are living under fear. The question then is this, how can the Jewish Messiah then die by crucifixion? Does that not represent defeat? Does it not solidify a picture of Roman ascendancy when they executed the Jewish king with the worst means of execution in their repertoire? As Jesus hung upon the cross, they put a sign over his head and said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the King of the Jews were being crucified by the Romans in what is the worst possible way they can think of. What does this picture paint for us? You see, if you're a Jewish person living 2,000 years ago and you saw the cross, it would immediately become a stumbling block. Not only did it make no sense, it was absolutely ridiculous because your Jewish psyche was conditioned to look for strength. All the main people in, the, in, in Israel's history triumphed in great ways. David was a triumphant conqueror that never lost. Elisha was unbeatable. Abraham lost no battles, neither did Moses, nor did Joshua. Victory was procured by Esther when she stood in the gap for, his, for her people. Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. Nehemiah, Ezra, despite opposition, successfully rebuilt the temple and the walls of Jerusalem, while the Old Testament would record character failings in, what, in the people they talked about. But defeat, shame, and loss were never connected with God. How then? Can the Jewish Messiah die through crucifixion? How can that make sense? And yet God chose this thing to, hung, to hang His Son upon a tree, a curse declared in, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. And no wonder the cross is such a stumbling stone for the Jews. But I want to say this to us, that hey, this is precisely the method God has chosen. So that eyes are not looking in the natural, but eyes are looking to Him. The, the, Paul said this, that to them is a stumbling stone. But to us who are being saved, it is the greatest thing that God could have done for us. Amen. The next thing is that the Greeks, the Greeks sought wisdom. And many people, you know, um, and the Greeks of course refers to the, the non-Jewish people. But even today, most people seek wisdom, right? In the light of human wisdom, the cross is foolish. It makes no sense. The equation does not balance one man's life for all of humanity. How can that be? Why would the horrific mutilating death of a Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago have any implication for our eternity? One of the smartest men in the world that ever lived is a man called Albert Einstein. All of us have heard of him because of, you know, the theory of relativity, because of what this man has done. Today we have computers, because nanotechnology would not have been possible if they couldn't split the atom. 
And this man, towards the end of his life, was working on something called the theory of everything, the equation of God, because Einstein believed that there was a God. He looked at all the order that is in the universe and all that he was studying, and he saw that, that it gave light to the fact that there is intelligent design and things happen for a reason. And as a scientist, he recognizes that there is a God. But let me tell you this, Einstein also believed that this God was not a personal God. It was not a God. It's a God that you can observe, but it's, a not, it's not a God that you can know. You cannot, you cannot communicate with this God. And that's what Einstein believed. Can I tell you something? We can see God from nature, but we cannot know God without the cross. You can look around nature and you can observe and you will know that there is a God. But let me tell you this, you cannot know this God personally unless you come through the cross and the cross defies human intelligence because it makes no sense. And yet this is the way that God has made open for us. In John chapter 9, Jesus' disciples met a man who was born blind and the disciples' immediate question is fantastic. He, they ask, who sinned? This man or his parents? such that he was born blind. Can I say this to all of us? These are the same question we all like to ask because we all want a neat, logical way to assign blame. Who's to be blamed? Or to award, you know, credit. Right now, you know, it's uh, January. On the start, we are doing uh, uh, appraisal, you know? I don't know how many appraisal Pastor Kevin is doing. I got a stack of appraisals to do. Every one of them, like eight, ten pages. You know? Oh, tick, 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 tick. One, 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 you know? You got to grade everything that everybody else does. But you know what? The cross doesn't look like a performance appraisal at all. It offers us no logical assessment for a person's performance. The, off the cross offers no yardstick to determine what is the level of penance that everybody has to pay. Who is worthy for salvation? The cross measures none of these things. When I was very young, we didn't have many uh, theme parks in Singapore, but there was one theme park called Hopper Villa. Do you all remember that? Very few of you have visited it before, maybe, but when I was a kid, I remember going to Hopper Villa and my parents brought me through this tunnel through the gates of hell, you know? And, you know, then they believe in this, that there are 18 levels of hell. Every punishment gets worse and worse depending on what you did in life. The worse the sin, the worse the punishment. But that's not what the cross represents at all, right? The cross simply gives us one atonement. Jesus on the cross paid for all sin. And believing on the Lord is the one thing that is needed for us to come into salvation. It's the simplicity of the cross. And through the cross, it lumps all of us together in this room with believers all over the world, whether you are rich or poor, whether you have, been, you have committed heinous crimes or uh, you are a criminal in the past, whether you are philanthropist or you are selfish alike, it doesn't matter. The same price has been paid for every one of us. And the same solution has been given to all of us. Whomever believes and calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We have all come through the same door of salvation. None of us has come through another door. There is no greater price that's been paid. One price has been paid for everyone. This is the simplicity and the foolishness of the message of the cross. And this is our salvation. And praise God that He has made a way for us. Amen. I'm telling you, our salvation is not difficult. You cannot tackle it with the wisdom of this world, nor with the astuteness of a debater, nor with the cleverness of, of a mathematician. Conversion, the supreme process of being regenerated and being born again, simply requires our simple receptivity and faith that you believe in your heart that He is the Son of God, that He died and He rose again, and you confess with your lips, and you shall be saved. Amen. I tell you, if we are 
in this place and we're born again, we have so much to give thanks for. Amen. God does not complicate it for us. God doesn't make it more uh, difficult for any of us that all that requires is our hearts believing in Him. Amen. And this is the message. This is the power. You know, for those who are perishing, it's foolishness. For those who are perishing, it's a stumbling stone. But those who are being saved, it is the power of Christ unto salvation. Amen. I want to encourage us that we must never nullify the power of the cross by complicating the message that He has given to us. Amen. I want, to give, I want to close out by giving us three things. Number one, I want to say to all of us, we are qualified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29, Paul says this, For you see your calling, brethren, that are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame those things that are mighty, the base, the insignificant and lowly things of this world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. I love this. Because in this few verses, I see many descriptions of myself, not wise, lowly, insignificant. I'm telling you, amongst the pastors here in Cornerstone, the most highly educated one is Pastor Kevin, master's degree. <laughs> We're not smart people. The most influential with highest following in Cornerstone is Pastor Andrew. <laughs> ITE. He outdoes the one with master's degree. <laughs> I mean, if PSLE was about who had the lowest point, uh, Pastor Andrew will win, you know? <laughs> but I'm telling you this, that God chooses those who are unqualified. That's the thing, you see. I want to say this to you. If you think you're unqualified and you're not the right person, then you are exactly whom God is going to choose. And we don't, we don't want to embellish it. We don't want to embellish the message. We, we, we just want to stick to telling people about the cross and what Jesus has done for them. And when you just put, keep the message simple, then I'm telling you this, the work of salvation is not our own, it's the Holy Spirit. When we preach the cross, the foolishness of the cross, what we do is we open the channel for the Holy Spirit to come and convict hearts and to do His work. Because it's not about convincing people through logic. It's not about convincing people with signs and wonders. It's simply the message of the cross. And if you would just make that clear, I'm telling you, all of us are qualified to preach powerfully because the power is in the foolishness of the message. Amen? The second thing that we need to do is we've got to be prepared. And we are prepared. And you know, Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I like that. And there's one thing that we need to understand and study is we need to know Christ and we need to know Him crucified. I want to encourage us to walk through the crucifixion many times. Perhaps we need to watch Mel Gibson's Passion of Christ again. But you know, read through your Bibles, read through the Gospel, read through how Jesus went through it in, in the crucifixion and think about this, think about the things He said, think about what He went through because as we walk more and more on the cross and we understand the beauty and the wonder of what Jesus has done, we are going to recover a, a wonder and appreciation for what Jesus has done. And when you recover that, your words will become powerful as well because all you need to do is tell people what you see in the cross of what God has done 
for us. And you see, that's the amazing thing. Paul determined, his, this is his methodology. He was a smart man, but he chose simply to know what Jesus has done on the cross and to declare it. We need, don't need to be experts on PTSD. We don't need a degree in personality disorder, or we don't need a diploma on how to help people with destructive uh, addictions in their life. It's wonderful to have those things, but I'm telling you this, Paul determined to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And that's so simple, and I love the simplicity of it, and I want to encourage us to focus on Him and Him crucified. Amen. Finally, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. By now, you might think to yourself, hey, is there anything good with wisdom at all? Well, there is. There is a good wisdom that comes from God. And again, it is Paul who said in verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, However, we speak wisdom amongst those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. In this, Paul talks about a wisdom that comes from God, that comes from above, that's contrary to the wisdom of this world. And this wisdom belongs to those who walk with the Holy Spirit, who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes to us, He gives us supernatural wisdom that is not of this world. Amen. You know, brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you. You know, sometimes I get a lot of feedback when I, when I, when I share, when I speak. And one of the most common things I hear is this, you know, wow, oh, very complicated, uh, this guy, you know. <laughs> and I thought about it a lot, you know. I think I, I listened to the feedback and I think about it and I thought to myself, okay, let me try to be less complicated, okay. <laughs> And I just wonder, Lord, why can you make me simpler, you know? But let's all stand to our feet, amen. And I want to just bring a simple reminder to us this weekend about the simplicity of the message, amen. The power of the cross. And not just that, but the foolishness of it. And I'm, I want to encourage us that we don't have to complicate it. We don't have to make it more fashionable. We don't have to make the cross more presentable as what it is. We don't have to make it seem more logical. But I'm telling you, if you just leave the message alone and just say it the way it is and make room for the Holy Spirit, that people will catch a glimpse of how rugged, how horrific, how harsh the cross is and how it does not make sense. And in, this, in, in that place, in that space where things make no sense, let God birth faith in the hearts of the hearer. Amen. And let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. We, can, we stand together, Lord, and we thank you for all that you've done for us on the cross of Jesus Christ, oh Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice, Lord, that you could have come down from that cross any moment that you wanted to, Lord, but it was love and obedience to the Father that compelled you to stay upon that cross, Lord. And in the foolishness of it, in the ugliness of it, Lord, in the humiliation of it, Lord, you brought salvation to all mankind. God, the creator of the universe, on the cross for every single person. Lord, we thank you that you're not just a God who can be seen, but you are a God who can be known. You're not a faraway intelligence that designed and created the world, but you're a personal God who knows us by name and who wants to be named, who wants to be known, Lord. And you have declared your name to us in the Holy Scriptures, O God, and you call us to draw near to you as you were drawn near to us, O God. And Father, this morning, we draw nigh to you, Lord. We come back to the simplicity, we behold the cross, and we pray that may you anoint our lips, Lord, to bring a clear message. Simple, foolish may it be, madness may it be, O God. But Lord, let us not lose the power of the message of the cross, O Lord. We love you, we bless you. And now, Lord, I speak your blessings over your congregation. Lord, the blessings of God the Father, the blessings of God the Son, and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering, shall we?
just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.